Before getting into uh, consideration of this passage of Scripture this morning, I wanted to share from my heart um, a thought or two that has been on my mind this past week. I know that you have been grieved by the events uh, that have been so in the news. Um, We need to be a people that are in prayer for our nation right now. Uh, We should be, at any given occasion, uh, prayerful uh, for what is going on in our world, but particularly this week, for us not to be sensitive uh, to the things that have been occurring um, is really an affront to the very nature of what it means to be Christian. Um, You and I, our hearts should be broken uh, with the same things that break the heart of God. And I do know that there has been much brokenness this week. The events of this past week, the deaths of Alton Sterling and Philandro Castile, um, and the deaths of the officers, of course, in Dallas, Brent Thompson and Michael Kroll, Patrick Zamaripa, Michael Smith, and Lorne Ahrens. We want to lift these families up that have lost such loved ones. Um, These situations are unthinkable no matter how we look at them. And you can imagine that this morning, as those families, some I'm sure who are guided in their hearts to be within worship communities are grieving and others are seeking to share their grief. And I want you, if you would, to spend just a moment of silence with me here. Let's just go to God in silent prayer together. Oh, Father, we know that all things are in your hands, and yet at times this world seems so shaky because of the events that occur. I do pray that you would give your grace to us this day, and particularly that you would be with these families who have lost loved ones. We lift them up to you and ask that your peace, which goes beyond understanding, would reside within their hearts and minds, and that you would move us to a very good place, a place that is free from suffering and death, a place, place that is free from the fear and the hate that is a part of life in such a vivid way this week. We lift ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen. I do have a concern, particularly for the vulnerable. In this situation, It seems that everybody is vulnerable. I have a concern for those particularly that are driven by hate and fear. And that includes probably every one of us here, not simply those that have made the news. You and I must come to a different way of thinking and actually a different way of living in order to effectively deal with this constructively in our day and age you may say to yourself I had nothing to do with this but all of us are implicated when any of us are implicated Richard Jensen in his book preaching Luke's gospel offers a paraphrase of Luke 
chapter 6, verses 27 through 38, which is plucked from Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. In Luke, Jesus is preaching on a level place. In Matthew, he preaches a Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, he preaches a Sermon on the Plain. And these words are a paraphrase of a portion of that sermon. I call you to live your lives out of an alternative vision of reality. This, this is Jesus speaking. I call you to live your lives out of an alternative vision of reality. I call you to live your lives as lives that reverse the values of this culture. I call you to love your enemy, turn the other cheek, give your possessions to those in need, and judge not the lives of others. Be merciful even as I am merciful. I have come to nourish your entire life with mercy. I have come to empower you with mercy in order that you may indeed live a new kind of life in this world. You and I are called to a higher mode of existence than we view around us. This is the nature of what it means to call ourselves Christian. We are called by a very high standard, a sacrificial standard. And to be with people in the depths of their lives. There are persons that will use this as an opportunity to choose sides. You've seen all the signs. Black lives matter. Blue lives matter. You've seen how this has become even divisive for us to bring it up, to mention it. I want to say before you, I believe that all lives matter. There is not a soul that doesn't matter to God. And therefore, there should not be a soul that does not matter to us. You and I should be concerned about anywhere and anytime something goes on that is wrong. And we should stand not only against it, but we should stand in the gap in order as much as we are able to set things right. We are called to love our neighbors, which is not an easy thing to do. I want to encourage you to rise to the occasion. Our nation is in need of it right now. For us to be who we are designed to be, who I believe we can be, you and I must rise to the occasion to see what Christ might do with us in these days. It is hard to segue from that into the subject matter of membership covenant, but I'm about to do it. <laughs> we are in the process of moving through a sermon series on the subject called, and it is giving us a chance to think about how we pledge ourselves in covenant to support the church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Now, all of us, as members of a congregation, a United Methodist congregation, make a pledge in order that we can love God and support each other in the midst of our Christian walk. Today we will focus on the subject of gifts and service in particular. And 
that is a crucial matter. It is a matter in my mind, not only of how we will be generous on our own, but how we can connect with God's generosity. How do we see God giving his life for the sake of the world? We know very well that it is a sacrificial way in which God gives. And it always is this this effervescent, overflowing nature of the very essence of God amongst us. There's a story that I've heard about Sadie Syker, who was a house parent for some Wycliffe Bible translators, some missionaries that were working down in the Philippines. Uh, Sadie had taken on the job of caring for the children of these missionaries while they did their work. And when she went with them to this location, she packed a chest full of books. She loved books. And so she took these prizes with her. And when she got down to the Philippines, she had this heavy chest of books and she realized that she was book rich. In fact, when she looked at the culture around her, she realized that that not many people had books there. And so she began to share some of the books that she had with others. She would simply pass them out to people that were interested in reading but she kept some of those books to herself. There was no way that she was going to give away some of her most prized treasures. She tells the story about how she was laying there on her bed, a little cot one night. The the box, the chest of books was underneath her bed and uh, she was just laying there and and she was uh, trying to sleep she heard a gnawing sound as best as she could describe it. She said it was sort of a scraping sound and she just ignored it. Um, When she got up the next morning, she thought to herself, that was very close to me, what I heard going on last night. And she thought to herself, what could that have been? It had been a while since she had opened that box And so she pulled it out, not knowing what she was going to find. Termites had gotten into her books. And she said all that was there was dust. And she thought to herself, what have I lost? And then she thought to herself, what have I done? What have I done? I have kept these treasures so boxed away that they have disappeared from me and everybody. She said, never again. I don't know about you, but I have the tendency to hold on to things. Uh, in fact, it becomes, it becomes an illness. <clears throat> the more that I have, the more it seems that I want. Um, I'm having trouble with this right now with, with fishing gear. I... Uh, <laughs> I have fallen in love with fishing, and, and I just, uh, I, yesterday, Sue indulged me. We went out to several 
garage sales. She said, let's go find you some cheap fishing equipment. And I was all the more eager to do that. Well, we uh, found no fishing equipment, but on, on the way to all of these different places, we kept finding things that she liked. And so, <laughs> and so we, uh, we were purchasing as we went. And when we got back to the house, we realized just looking at it that we didn't need half of what we had picked up. Have you ever been there and done this before? And so we had to put it into piles, you know. None of this cost very much, but we had to put it into the pile of the things that we wanted to keep in the piles that, that we, I mean, this was immediate that we didn't want to keep, you know. And so there's this decision process that comes about, you know. What is it that we give our lives to? Those things that we own begin to claim who we are. And we are in dire need of taking to heart this call to be generous with what we have. Not so much to amass things on our own, but to be generous in order that God can use the things that he has entrusted to us. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to the Christians there about the collection for uh, the saints in Jerusalem who are in a dire situation of need, he points out to them, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. Now, I want to tell you, I don't know how this works, but I can attest to the fact that it does work. That somehow in the midst of my giving to someone else, and especially to the Lord's work, that there is this never-ending supply that giving might be continued, not because of anything that I have done, but because of what God is doing and seeks to do in the world. Have you experienced this as well? That somehow in the midst of our living, that giving does no harm to us. I am not saying that we cannot, we cannot live sacrificially and be poorer than we were the day before. No, but there is somehow an abundance to take care of us that not only leaves us with enough to get by on, but it leaves us with a smile on our face for having what we actually have. You know what I'm saying? It's incredible the way God has designed this. I, I do not claim in any way to be someone who, who practices this to the degree that I believe God is calling us to practice it. But I've tasted enough of it in order to realize that, that we are better not seeing ourselves as reservoirs, but seeing ourselves as rivers. God seeks to allow his goodwill to be used by us in order to bless others. When I was a child, I used to cut lawns and my parents when I would return to the house at 12 years of age 
with three dollars and a half in my pocket from having cut a lawn down the street, my parents, uh, either my mother or my father, would say it interchangeably. They would say, now, now, what part of that is your tithe to the church? And it wasn't hard to figure out. You know what the tithe is, don't you? What is, what is the percentage that we call the tithe? 10%. And so it was pretty easy. 35 cents of that was going to go to the church. Now, they, they didn't pry it out of my hands. But by their coaching, by their coaching, they somehow put that in my mind and in my heart as being something that is just true. It is something that should be done. An older member of the church that I served before uh, moving here uh, in Warner Robins uh, had reached a point in her life where everyone who knew her knew that even though her mind was clear, her body was failing fast, and she was at the point of needing to be in, if not nursing care, at least assisted living, uh, and yet she was unwilling to do that. I had mentioned it to her a couple of times, and she was resistant to it, and I thought, this is, this is difficult because we're all concerned that she may fall and she may do great injury to herself. I was talking with her daughter, and she told me, the daughter told me, she said, I know you're wondering about this. And I th said, I am. She said, let me tell you what's going on. She said, my mother gives 30% of her income to the church. Now, this was not a wealthy lady. Um, she was at the best on the lower side of being middle class, but she really was just above being poor. Uh, but she was giving 30% of what she had to the church, which I had no clue about. Her daughter said to me, What's, what the problem is, is that she realizes that if she goes into assisted living, the only way for her to do that is for her to allow them to take control of what her monthly income is. And then she will not be able to give to the church what she has been used to giving to the church. And I shook my head. And then the daughter continued. And she said, fix this, preacher. <laughs> And I thought, how? And, and it, made me, it made me very conflicted, you know, not because the church was going to be this great, have this great benefit because of the amount that she was giving, but to me, I was so overwhelmed with the idea that she was so committed in her giving that it was controlling the rest of her life. Do you understand how significant that is? This is incredible. Um, this deep sense of commitment and this deep sense of joy, this gratitude that the Apostle Paul talks about, talking about God loving a cheerful giver, she, she was completely wrapped up in the idea that her fulfillment was in giving to the Lord through the church. In Malachi, this book that carries as its title uh, the meaning of messenger. That's what Malachi means, 
the messenger or my messenger. It is a bridge book, um, that book that connects the Hebrew scriptures with the Christian writings. It is that book, uh, the last of the minor prophets, which is anything but minor. It is major in its significance. It is by the time of Malachi that the Jews were 100 years out from their return to Israel. They had discovered what this banishment from their land was about and in returning had been under the direction of Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilding the temple and the walls of the city and reclaiming their faith. But a hundred years out from that as Malachi is doing his writing there is this falling away, this falling away. In the second chapter of Malachi there is this Uh, word to the priests and this is where I should be concerned because this is not something you should have to worry about so much but it says here and now O priest this command is for you if you will not listen if you will not lay it to heart to give glory to my name says the Lord of hosts then I will send the curse on you and I will curse your blessings what in the world does that mean I will curse your blessings. This is severe stuff. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces and dung of your offerings. And I will put you out of my presence. This is severe language for a people who had, in the history of the earth, in a very short period of time, come back to their homeland. It is easy to forget who we are and what we are about. In chapter 3 of this book, it starts with the words, See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. Those early Christian readers, as they began to reflect on this, were saying to themselves, Surely that was John the baptizer. Surely it was. And as they read on, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord. And they are saying to themselves, surely this is referring to Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. They were reading into it. And they were seeing the promise that was coming. George Frederick Handel, writer of the Messiah, this great music, put pen to paper and did an incredible thing. Uh, With that music and with the lyrics associated with that music, wrote one of the most cherished pieces of sacred music that ever has been written. Do you know that he was quoting directly from Malachi, at least in a portion of that great music? Listen to these words and see if you've heard them before. For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver and he will purify the descendants of Levi. These words are meant to call us to pay attention to the words that are shortly to follow. 
Malachi goes on to say, then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be swift to bear witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers and their wages, against the widow and the orphan, against those who thrust against the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Do you hear what's going on there? He's speaking words of justice, social justice. And saying, if we do not tie ourselves closely to the nature of what we are doing, we will forget the very nature of what God is about. He goes on in the same passage to say, will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Uh, this past Wednesday, uh, John Hewitt was speaking to us um, in such a challenging way about the nature of the upcoming capital campaign that we have. If you haven't heard John speak yet, if you missed him at that gathering, I hope that you will have the chance to, to hear him. He is uh, far more than a communicator about money and church resources. He's an evangelist. He just speaks with such insight and wisdom. One of the things that he shared with us was his encounter at one church in which he was working. And he found a bulletin, in a bulletin that was there, that uh, there was a statement that said, uh, we encourage you to give a tithe of 3%. Now, this church had, had made the, had come to the idea that people on average, were giving 2 to 3%. They had come to the notion that, that if everyone, at least in their congregation, were to give 3%, just 3% of their income, then they would be able to increase their budget. And so their challenge was for people to give a tithe of 3%. Well, John, when he talked to the pastor, said that, that he asked them about that. And he said to him, you know, um, have, you, have you sort of whittled down, which of the commandments are you using at this point? You know, are you, are, are you whittling away at those too? Uh, you knew it. When I asked you just a few minutes ago, what is the tithe? 10%, 10% of your income. Some of you are rejoicing in that. Others of you are fearful of it I want to encourage you that as we move into the future of what God has in store for Pittman Park Church that you would trust him to be able to provide and to give you not only provisions but to give you a gladness of heart now this can be applied not only with our finances but should also be applied with our service. Some of you may be saying to yourself, I don't have time to do things. I'm too busy. I will get busy perhaps when I retire. Now, I say that happens occasionally if somebody remembers it when they retire. And two, if their health isn't compromised when they retire. 
I encourage you to be a people that give in Christian service. Um, this past week, it was so fascinating to see some of you busy in the work of Rebecca's Cafe and to witness even children in our midst that were helping out, giving out silverware to the ones that were coming through the line. It's a beautiful, beautiful setting. As we continue to operate in the midst of giving our lives, we must find a place. How many of you, how many of you know how to wash dishes? Raise your hand. Okay. You're qualified for this work, okay? How many of you know how to, to ladle out soup or to scoop spaghetti out of a bowl and put it on a plate? Raise your hand. You're qualified for this work. God says, be glad and generous givers. Don't miss the opportunities that the Lord puts before you. Take this seriously. Anything less is actually robbing God of what he seeks to do. Now, let me ask if you would commit yourself in prayer. As we sing this final hymn on page 399, there is a chance for us to offer our lives to God anew. As we, as we share this hymn together, I also want to give an invitation for anyone who would like to come and to spend just a moment of prayer here at the altar uh, and to give an invitation. Always, this altar is open for those who have not committed their life to following Christ, for you to come and to meet me here. But also this morning, for those who feel the conviction that God is calling you to do more than you're doing now with your gifts and your service, once you spend time in prayer, I know that you can pray right where you are in the pew, but I encourage you also to dedicate yourself by stepping out and coming to this altar rail and lifting up a prayer of recommitment of your life to Christ. Let's stand together as we share together in singing 399.